Tonight I'd like to speak about one of the most deeply conditioned powers and forces in the mind. That is the conditioning of fear. When we look at our lives, what is it that keeps us from opening? Opening to our bodies, opening to the full range of our thoughts, opening to our emotions, opening to other people, opening to the world. The power that keeps us closed, that keeps us locked in, the power of fear in the mind. Fear of physical pain, fear of psychological pain, fear of death, fear of dissolution. When we look at fear and how it's manifest, we see that fear is always a contracting, a pulling back. You see that the very fear itself is what locks that pain in. Because our minds contract, our bodies contract. We see that fear is not only a strong conditioning in our mind, but it also is a conditioning factor for attachment and resistance. Because we're afraid of losing what we have, the mind is conditioned to grasp, to cling. Because we're afraid of experiencing what we don't want, the mind is conditioned to resist, to have aversion. We can see we can see the root conditioning force and power, how fear works in our lives. Chuang Tzu, famous ancient Taoist sage, said, little fears cause anxiety and big fears cause panic. And if you think in your life, how fear operates, see that that's true low-level anxieties we have about the little fears and the panic that's created often when we're confronting a large fear. The beauty of Dharma practice and the tremendous potency of it is the understanding and acknowledgement that there is no experience outside of the practice outside of the Dharma. What that means is that every situation, whether it's small fears, whether it's big fears, whether it's pain of the body, pain of the mind, 
that every condition, every experience is workable in terms of understanding it, in terms of freeing ourselves. There's no situation, no experience, no mind state which falls outside the realm of the Dharma, of truth. When we understand that, then there's a tremendous confidence which comes in our practice. Because we see that whatever comes to us, whatever state we experience, no matter how strong, or how powerful, or how frightening, or how difficult, all is food for insight, food for understanding, food for a greater freedom. What are the kinds of fears that we most confront? Probably the one that's most obvious, the one that comes to the forefront quickest in practice, is fear of physical pain. We don't like it. We sit and the sensations begin to get intense. What's the conditioned reaction of that? Conditioned reaction of the mind to that. Because now you're all quite expert in relating to pain. But if you can remember back, you know, to the beginning, in a strong pain comes, what happens? Tighten, resist, push away. And to begin to see the kinds of resistance that the mind throws up, because of the fear of simply experiencing it as it is. You know, how do we resist pain? We resist it by ignoring it for a while. You know, it's just making believe it's not there until it gets so strong that there's no avoiding it. In the mind, there's another ploy, the sidelong glance. You know, sort of with the breath, out of the corner of your eye, you're aware of the pain. It doesn't work because it's not really an acknowledgement, it's not a being there. It's just another kind of resistance. You see that what develops in the practice and what takes, takes some time to learn to re- establish a more wholesome pattern in the mind to see that it's possible to soften into pain. What is pain actually? It's just some sensations in the body. It's the four elements that Agasara spoke of last night. The four elements somewhat intensified. And it happens. You know, in our lives, sometimes the elements get somewhat out of balance, and we experience the sensation of them, the manifestation, as painful feeling. Very often people have the idea that if only they can get rid of the pain, then they'll be able to meditate, and the practice will go on not understanding, and again, putting that experience 
outside of practice, as if you know, when the pain goes away, then I, can, then I can meditate and then I'll get enlightened. Instead of seeing that pain, like anything else, is simply another object of experience, and in fact it's a good one, it's a very good one. Because when there's strong sensation, your mind is not wandering. You know, when there's really intense sensation, intense burning, intense throbbing, intense stabbing, intense twisting, or pulling, or heaviness, you are right here. Right? And the key, the balance to working with it skillfully, is being there without fear. Without resistance, without contraction, but rather a softening into it. Can you love the pain? And love in this sense means an embracing of it, a gentleness of acceptance. It's interesting to look at how our fear of experiencing sensations, painful sensations, conditions desire in the mind. Last talk I gave, or a couple of talks ago, I suggested that you look at intentions and motives and actually investigate and see why it is that we move. Why do we move through the day, through our lives? If you've examined that and looked at that, you'll see that to an extraordinarily large degree, we move to avoid pain. There's some feeling that's arising, and we don't like it, and as an avoidance of it, we move, we change position, we do something, we engage in some activity. And it's quite startling to realize that so much of our lives is spent in the avoidance of something. We think we're being you know, pulled to do all these wonderful things in our lives, and yet when we actually examine the intention and the motive behind it in, a, in an honest way, you know, with real integrity of investigation, we see that to a large extent it's simply the avoidance of certain uncomfortable feelings. It's helpful to see that and to realize that we don't have to be driven by that fear that actually it's possible to settle back in a soft and allowing way and feel what's there. How fear of unpleasantness conditions desire. Not only fear of present unpleasantness, it's also fear of future unpleasantness. There was a time in my practice And everything was going very well. It's the kind of sitting where you think you're going to get enlightened any minute. You know, everything is clear and sharp and focused and concentrated and all the factors of enlightenment are there and you're just waiting. 
and I was just waiting. And I was sitting there in this state, and so wonderful. And the tea bell rang. What to do? Enlightenment is going to happen any minute. But if I didn't get up for the tea, I was going to be hungry. <laughs> you know, or the tea was going to be cold. And back and forth, my mind is you know, engaging in this discussion, enlightenment versus tea. <laughs> and it was just amazing to see how many times tea won. <laughs> Why? It's that it was that fear, not even of a present discomfort. You know, I was feeling fine, but my mind just projected and anticipated how I might feel, you know, later on if I didn't get up and get the tea. What's important in investigating and looking at how all this is working is to be able to do it without a judgmental mind, because that doesn't really help very much. So if you see your mind engage in that kind of situation, it's not to judge anything, and it's not to be reactive to it, it's simply to see it. It's awareness itself which purifies the mind. We don't have to set up any ideal or any model of how we're supposed to be or how we're supposed to act. Simply through paying attention, through being aware of our experience as it unfolds, we begin to learn. Working with pain and beginning to decondition the fear of discomfort, the fear of unpleasantness, to actually experience for ourselves that it's okay to feel those sensations. We don't have to pull back. There's another kind of fear that is less tangible and therefore takes some greater sophistication of mind to work with. And that's the fear we have of psychological pain, psychological discomfort. We're afraid of being insecure. We're afraid of not being accepted. We're afraid of loneliness. We're afraid of separation. We're afraid of loss. We're afraid of feeling unworthy. We're afraid of feeling stupid. We're often afraid of hatred or anger. We're afraid of boredom. 
we're afraid of fear. All these states of mind, which arise in us, which are part of the mind, which are part of us, we've been conditioned to resist in the same way that we've been conditioned to resist physical pain. We don't like to feel them. Because we don't like to feel them, it creates a fundamental split in our minds, in our hearts, in our being. Because here's a part of our experience, a part of us, feelings that come, which we push away, which we judge, which we don't like, which we have aversion to, which we're afraid to be with, afraid to feel. And so the whole the whole structure of our being is built upon a split or a cracked foundation. We find that so much of our lives are spent avoiding any kind of situation that's going to call those feelings up. Blaming and judging other people for causing those feelings in us. It's interesting to take a look deeply at the nature of judgment. Because you'll see that the judgment of others really has very little to do with others. It has to do with the judgment of that quality in ourselves. You see that as we become more accepting of every part of ourselves, of every part, the difficult parts, the painful parts, the insecurity, the unworthiness, the loneliness, the abandonment, the hatred, as we can open up and not be afraid of those states of mind, not judge them or judge ourselves for having them, the natural consequence of that is so much greater acceptance of all those qualities in other people. Sometimes we don't even know what we're afraid of. Seeing the qualities we judge in others is a good clue. So if you don't know, you know, what you're really judging in yourself, what you're not accepting in yourself, pay attention in the course of a day to the different kinds of judgments that are made about others, and then simply turn them around. Really investigate and see how you feel about, what your attitude is about those qualities in yourself. Fear of insecurity, fear of these different states of mind, fear of these emotions, is one of the
the great fueling sources of our self-images. And we project self-images. We build this persona out here and use an enormous amount of energy to sustain it so that we don't have to acknowledge or face or be with this shadow side of ourselves. The side of psychological pain, side that we're afraid of. So we never relate really honestly with one another because it's only our self-images which are relating. It's not that real person behind it. has to do with a willingness to be vulnerable, to be open. That is, to recognize that there are spaces of mind which we're afraid of, and to be willing to expose that, whether to others or to ourselves, but it's a quality of opening, quality of vulnerability, quality of nakedness. Just for a moment, imagine that there's someone who has the ability to look into your minds and hearts. Somebody with great psychic power and who can just see all of you. What don't you want them to see? What part is being protected? What part is being defended? What part aren't you acknowledging? What's so amazing, we, we have this fear you know, of acknowledging these parts of ourselves. And you can call them the negative parts, or the ugly parts, or the unpleasant parts, or the painful parts. What's so interesting is that we all have them. And so, why the fear? It's nothing new. We all share all of it. Which is why when we can accept it, when we can integrate these feelings in ourselves, it becomes so easy to relate <coughs> to the wholeness of another person. When we stop judging ourselves, we stop judging others. A willingness to be open, a willingness to be vulnerable. There's tremendous potential for connectedness in that state. One story which illustrates this happened to me a number of years ago at a session with Suzaki Roshi. And he's a very tough little Zen master. I don't know if those of you have been to Sashin's, especially with him. They're very strict. 
You know, everything is done very formally. You sit together, you walk together, you eat together. Everything is done exactly the way it's supposed to be. These guys in black robes with big sticks walking behind you, you know, or in front of you. If you start slumping, you get whacked. It's really a very disciplined, intense situation. And Suzaki himself can be incredibly everything. <laughs> I've never seen or been with anybody who could be as totally dismissive with a glance. You know, we're doing the session and we're working with koans. You know, when you go in and there are four, four interviews called Sanzen, four interviews a day with him. It was my first session, I got this beginning koan. Go in, I do my bows. He asks the koan, and I give him my answer. He looks at me with total, complete disdain. <laughs> Very stupid. <laughs> Go out. <laughs> Back to the hall. And, uh, my breath, thinking about this koan. Go in the next time. Go through the same routine. Everything is very formal. You know, the bowing and koan. Give him my answer. Too much ego. Come back. Sitting. Third time, fourth time. For three days, every time I went in, it's as if he looked at me with complete contempt or disbelief or totally demolishing me. You know, too much self, too much ego. You know, these, these replies of complete dismissal. Meanwhile, I'm getting more and more uptight. You know, as it goes on, this is my interaction with him. I'm feeling more and more closed, more and more fearful. It's the last place in the world I wanted to go, you know, into these sanzens with him. It was getting very intense. I mean, it was really building on my whole system. I was just getting taut and contracted and nervous. Every time I heard the bell for the interview, I'd start shaking. It was intense. Finally, on the third day, four times a day going through this, I just went in and gave up. You know, it's the mind. I'm of a pessimist student, and this end stuff, <laughs> you know, it's not really what the Buddha taught at all. <laughs> um, Who is this guy anyway? <laughs> so I went in and I just didn't care anymore. I just shrugged my shoulders, you know, forget it. Suzaki's really skillful. 
he gave me an easier koan. <laughs> but what he didn't know, I don't think, was that the koan he gave me, which was how do you how do you manifest Buddha while chanting a sutra? It just touched off this really deep, deep, deeply conditioned fear in me, my singing fear. Right? Some third grade teacher told me just to mouth the words, <laughs> you know, in her singing class. <laughs> and that teacher being reinforced by many acquaintances and friends since then. <laughs> <laughs> so there was just this knot about that whole issue in me. And so even though I understood that koan, it was, it was quite apparent, you know, going and chant for him, I became completely terrified. Totally irrationally. You know, I could just see what was going on in my mind, but it was way out of control. And I'm sitting there waiting for the next interview in total panic, rehearsing in my mind, you know, this one line of Japanese chanting that we did every day, going through it a million times, you know, as a rehearsal. I go in, the bell rings, I wait until the last moment to go into this. I go in really shaking, I do my bows, I say my koan, and start giving reply, start chanting this line. By the third syllable, or the third word, I completely spaced out, I forgot the chant, forgot what I was saying. I felt totally exposed. And I felt so raw, and so naked, and so inside out. It was the most vulnerable feeling I've ever had. Suzaki in that moment, it's as if he manifest in that moment of total vulnerability and rawness, the Bodhisattva of compassion. He looked at me and with total compassion said, very good. And it was such an exquisite moment. That very good touched my heart in a place that had never been touched before. And the reason it could get in was because it was open, because it was exposed. There are people actually, not only Suzaki Roshi, but there are many people waiting, willing, wanting to actually touch our hearts. But it takes a willingness, a willingness to be that open, to be that vulnerable, to be that insecure. And so in our practice, as these states arise in us, the states that we're afraid of, the states of insecurity, the state of fear, state of vulnerability, the state of loss, the state of loneliness, all of those things which we've armored ourselves against, 
in the same way that we can soften and open and be gentle with physical pain and learn to feel it and experience it, it's exactly the same process in opening to these states of psychological pain, psychological fragility, to be soft, to be open. One image that might be helpful If you saw a little child, and the child was filled with fear, how would you relate to that child? Probably you'd go over and you'd be loving and caring. You wouldn't be feeding the fear, but you also wouldn't be judging it and saying, oh, this is terrible, go away, I don't like you. You would be there for that child, you would be there for that experience, for the fear. In the same way, we have to begin relating to our own experience as if it's a little child experiencing it. Because that gives an indication of a proper relationship. Instead of that conditioning of blocking of pushing away, of thinking that certain states are no good, or shouldn't be there, or disgusting. Realizing that they're part of us. In the same way that we can embrace the feelings of a little child, we have to learn how to embrace our own feelings. And it's not wallowing in them, and it's not feeding them, and it's not indulging them, And it's certainly not resisting them, or putting barriers or walls against them. It's embracing. It's loving. It's accepting. It's a tremendously healing function of the mind. We begin to heal that split that's in us. We begin to reintegrate into ourselves all of those parts of ourselves, all those kinds of experiences which, for some reason or other, we've kept away, we've kept apart. So as you go in the practice, as you proceed, really take a look at your attitude towards experience. Because the attitude towards experience is where the key is. The experiences themselves are fine. What's the attitude? What's the relationship towards them? Are you embracing them? Are you loving them? Are you accepting them? Or are you pushing? Are you resisting? Are you fearful? Another kind of fear, it's pretty strongly conditioned in our minds, That's the fear of death, the fear of dying. What does that mean, actually? Is it anything more than an abstraction? What does fear of death mean?
we're not dead until we're dead. Which means we're alive until we're dead. And so what is that fear? What is that fear about? One way of understanding it, and really penetrating and going beyond it, is in a very real way to see that this process of birth and death is actually happening moment to moment. And that's not a metaphor. When our perception becomes refined enough to see that what we are is this changing process of momentary experience, not when we know it intellectually or abstractly, but when we actually settle back and be... It's as if we get in sync with the process. You know, one image which, I, which came to mind... It's as if you see, you know, in a photograph or a film, you see a double image. Mostly, we go through our life with a sense of a double image. That is, we're observing ourselves as if apart from the experience. Even if it's just slightly apart, a moment apart. What happens in the practice is that that double image begins to come together. And so instead of that sense of observing ourselves being apart from experience, Slowly, it's like the two images begin to line up and we become the changing experience. We're not outside of it, observing it. As we get in sync with this process, as we become the process of change, then it becomes increasingly clear that each moment is a moment of birth and death. So then how to understand where this fear of death comes from? Take a look at any attachment you have. Any strong attachment. Attachment to a person, attachment to a situation, attachment to a mind state. And you will see in the relationship to that attachment what the fear of death is. Can you let go of that attachment? Can you actually let go of the attachment, that clinging, that grasping, to another person, to a situation, to a mind state? Because as we become free of the attachments in our lives, we see that the fear of death begins to dissolve. I'd like to read something from Krishnamurti. He said, Most of us are frightened of dying because we don't know what it means to live. We don't know how to live, and therefore we don't know how to die. 
As long as we are frightened of life, we shall be frightened of death. The person who is not frightened of life is not frightened of being completely insecure, for they understand that inwardly and psychologically there is no security. When there is no security, there is an endless movement, and then life and death are the same. The person who lives without conflict, who lives with beauty and love, is not frightened of death. If you die to everything you know, actually as you hear these words, feel the meaning of the words, do the words. If you die to everything you know, including your family, your memory, everything you have felt, then death is a purification. To die is to have a mind that is completely empty of itself, empty of its daily longings, pleasures, and agonies. When there is death, there is something totally new. Freedom from the known is death, and then you are living. Can we really experience dying? Dying to family, dying to friends, dying to memory, dying to thought, dying to sensations. Actually die. And the tremendous freedom which is born of that working with our fears, our fears of dying, our fears of pain, our fears of psychological insecurity and vulnerability. Working with fear means allowing ourselves to feel the fear, not to be afraid of that, to see that it's okay to feel fear. When we have that gentleness of acceptance, to actually go into, to approach, to embrace all of those situations which we've been afraid to open to, which we've been afraid to die to. Understanding fear and working with it <coughs> gives a tremendous strength and confidence in our practice. So it's working at this fundamental primal force in our being. 
learning how to reintegrate ourselves, to make ourselves whole. Every moment of experience is an invitation to that wholeness. Can we be open to what every moment offers? It's the challenge in our practice. Any questions? I mean, die to the attachment. Because the attachment to anything, attachment to family, attachment to friends, attachment to memory, attachment to body, attachment to feelings, attachment to situation, is always and inevitably the cause of bondage. And what's so interesting is that we get attached because of a fear of loss. That's what fuels the attachment. We're afraid of the feeling of loss. And yet, it's only when we let go of the attachment that we actually can connect. Because as long as we're attached, that's not a relationship. That's, that's not really an intimacy of connection. That's a grasping and a holding on and a possessiveness born out of our own fear. So if we're willing to see the fear out of which attachment is born, and instead of running from that fear and projecting the attachment, we're able to go back into ourselves and experience the fear, and perhaps experience the sense of loss. Out of that, out of that acceptance of ourselves comes a much truer and open relationship. Answer your Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.